Father of all mercies, we are thankful to you that you've had mercy on us and given us your word so that we would walk closely with you, so that we would repent of our sins, so that we would trust in you, so that we would be a new people and a new family to bring glory to your name. We pray now that you would please help us. Help us to um, be attentive to your word, to pay attention to what it says, to be challenged by it. Help our hearts to be receptive and our motivation to be uh, good to want to listen, to have our ears open, to hear what you have to say. We worship you. Amen. Uh, We continue our journey through the book of Revelation, now in Revelation chapter 14. It's so massive and full of uh, huge ideas, huge truths from God's Word that I thought we've got to just stay with the first five verses and perhaps deal with the question of judgment and hell um, in a separate sermon. But I'm convinced that as I read these first five verses, there are lots of dichotomies there, lots of either this or that, and they will help us to think through what uh, God is communicating through John in this vision. So let's begin by thinking about this either-or idea that we're going to find in the passage. And you tell me where you're at. If I say Pepsi or Coke... Where are you at? If I said to you, PC or Mac? PC, people without money say PC. If we say Instagram or Snapchat, our elderly members say what? (laughs) If we say working hard, or hardly working. I know which one. <laughs> if we say vegetarian or meat eating, there's no judgment here. Or if we say words or actions, liberal or conservative, Tory or Labour. Now we don't want to answer anymore. <laughs> Ephemeral, temporary, or eternal. Christ or idols? We go from trivial things tonight, but we end and land with how throughout the book of Revelation, there's always been the choice. And last time at the end of chapter 13, we found that there was a group of people that bore the mark of the beast. And their choice was to live a lifestyle that associated themselves not with God, but with his enemy. And so here we are reminded that we're either God's people or we're allying our thoughts and our lives and aligning it with God's enemy. And we're going to consider the consequences of either one, but hopefully you'll be encouraged as the people of God. And if you are not yet part of the people of God, you'll be challenged. So we're going to do that through a few questions. Um, Here's our first question then. I I forgot to bring the click. Oh, there it is. Fantastic. Fantastic. Here's our first question. Which mark do you bear? Is it beast or lamb? Okay. Tell me this. What do these clothes tell us about these people? Uh, if, you know, if you know the movement they belong to, shout it out. Here we go. Characteristic, uh, lots of black, lots of goths. You got it. Here we have. 
We have emos. That's right. That's right. I was a part of that group. I don't have any pictures anymore. Uh, I, did, I did don the eyeliner and all the rest of it. You can judge me all you want, but Jesus has saved me. Now, we have here another one. So you're kind of the, the fashionista kind of group, okay? What about here? Here we have a model that dons the mark of just a casual, okay, expression of his personality. But, <laughs> but you see, all of those examples, you look at the outside and you see in the clothing, in the makeup, an expression of something that's inside, someone's personality, of what they're really like. Our clothes and accessories, they speak of something going on inside us, our personalities. And we've already learned at the end of chapter 13, last time, that it's not a visible mark of the beast that we are talking about. It's not something literally on the hand or forehead. But instead, it's about who you belong to. You could see that some of those people belonged to a particular group by the outside. And we've learned... That it's not so much what's on the outside, but the actions, the thoughts, the way of living that identifies us as people who are either marked by the one who is anti-God, we don't care about God, we live our own lives in our own terms, or we are marked here, verse 1, as the group that belong to the Lamb. The 144,000 who had his name and the father, his father's name written on their foreheads. They belong to him. We will talk about this. Uh, you may not have been here when we dealt with Revelation chapter 7. Uh, but I'm going to simply suggest to you, because it is in a lecture, we can't survey all the options for what it could possibly mean. But instead, I'll tell you this. Twelve is a key number in the Old Testament because there were twelve tribes of Israel. Israel, the nation that was called to represent and be a light to the world, represent the God of Israel, God's people. And in the New Testament, Jesus picks twelve, twelve apostles to share the gospel. If you multiply one by the other, you get the 144. And you've been following our, um, our little key to the book of Revelation. You know what seven means, perfection, completion. You know that 10 is like loads, man, loads. So we are saying here, put together the 12 tribes of Israel and uh, God's people, the, the apostles represented the church in the New Testament, and you've got 144, and it's loads. It's all of God's people, and it's everybody who is bearing the name of God because they've been rescued by the Lord Jesus. So this is now the church, the people of God, the invisible church that worships and trusts in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. Now, the things that belong to me, I can't say are always very well looked after. Um, there are some things that belong to me that live in the garage, and, you know, they don't, they don't last very long. Uh, uh, sometimes I don't put them in the best place to get crushed, they get battered a little bit. Some things that I own live in the loft. And surprisingly, there are lots of creatures that can influence things in the loft. Um, I understand that we have a, we have a continual uh, fight against the hellish mice um, in our own church loft. I think we are winning. 
I understand. But we do take precautions. You might feel the same way about the things that you own that are forgotten in your garage and in your loft. But let me tell you this. Those who belong to the Lord Jesus are never forgotten, misplaced. They are never forsaken. It might feel like you're in God's loft or his garage sometimes when life is a little bit tough. And like many of the uh, psalmists that write psalms that are hard to read, you might feel like God is distant. But the scripture assures us you have the name of the Father written on you if you belong to him because you trusted in Jesus. You can never be forgotten. But if the mark is about showing who you belong to, then what is it about God's people that show they belong to Him? And the hint is our next questions. So we've asked the question, which mark do you bear? Is it the beast or the lamb? Do you align your life with the Scripture or with whatever the world says and our culture says? But what about this? Where do you belong? Is it Zion or Babylon? Let's talk about that. Can you tell if someone is a foreigner in Chesterfield? Give me a head nod, yes or no. Can you tell? I think we can tell by using our five senses. I think so. I think they look different. I could always tell in Brazil uh, a foreigner was dressed differently. They were just not prepared perhaps for the heat. Okay, they were sweating because they were uh, dressed differently. Um, they looked differently because of the way they walked, their gait, the way of stepping was different. Because some people can look like Megan, my wife, but immediately we knew when we looked at her, the way she looked was, well, she's a foreigner. Foreigners are often caught out by the sun without sunscreen looking like lobsters. They look different in Brazil. They smell different because they are unprepared for the hot climate in Brazil. They do not seem to apply enough deodorant. Smell different. They sound different. Kind of like me, my accent's a bit messed up, isn't it? I know my English is very impressive, but my accent shows this country is not my home. My citizenship is elsewhere. Hopefully that will change and I'll get a British passport. They feel different. Because if you are attending Walton Church and all of a sudden you are hugged multiple times, you may discover that the culture of that person isn't British culture. It's not the British Reserve. They love talking to you and touching you on the shoulder. Perhaps even they taste different. Just joking, we don't eat foreigners. You can tell which city, which country someone calls home if you know enough about them. Well, even in verse 1, as we see that on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him, God's people, they belong to a different city. And there's a whole symbology behind uh, Zion. But the Lamb that stands on Mount Zion, you would have been reading this if you were there, John's original audience, perhaps thinking, in John's day, so many would read the Scriptures and believe Mount Zion, the place where the Messiah is going to come and rescue all of His people. So it's a place of security, of safety, of God's blessing, of His presence, His protection, a place where you hide. It's your refuge. 
that place we know is Christ. That if you trust in Him, He's your fortress. Your very life, Paul says, is hidden in Him and no one can take it. Contrast that, compare that with Babylon. A symbol of rebellion against God. Originally where the Israelites were sent into exile because they were unfaithful. Do you remember that? When in Isaiah chapter 39, Hezekiah, king of Judah, is said, because of your unfaithfulness, your lack of care for the things of God, the king of Babylon is going to come and take you and the people of God away. And ever since those things had happened, the exile and the return, Babylon becomes a code word for the kingdom that is against God. That's why in the book of 1 Peter, he says, we live in Babylon. Let's read that in 1 Peter chapter 5. We have a reference to this. So grab your Bibles that are already on your laps because you're a good Christian. And go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13. Peter says, hey, she who is in Babylon, the church, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. We live in Babylon. John says this when he says in 1 John 5, 19, the world is under the control of the evil one. He is constantly with, with his own kingdom, the beastly kingdom we saw in chapter 13, trying to fight God's people. And later, in Revelation 17, we'll find this. Go there with me. Revelation chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. We'll find this. The name written on her forehead, on this woman, was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Let me hopefully change your understanding of what's going on here. Throughout the Old Testament, we have a picture of how being with God is like being a bride that is going to marry uh, God, a picture of intimacy, of closeness that no one can separate. But we also have a picture of how idolatry, worshiping, and caring about anything other than God instead of God is a picture of spiritual adultery. Here we are called to say that either we belong to the land that is Zion where God is king and he blesses and we are safe in him, or we belong to Babylon. Or we are living in a way that doesn't care, that disregards God's word. Where is your home? Which of these two places? If your home is Zion where the Lamb reigns, this world feels foreign to you. Just like the UK, even still, feels foreign to me. And just as I keep finding things that I go, oh, wow, people do that, don't they? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm not from here. And so I keep making this mistake. In the same way, you, a Christian, know that this world isn't your home, and you keep finding that the more you try to live and obey Jesus, live for Jesus, you find, man, people don't like me. Sometimes people disagree with me. Sometimes people will take the mick out of me. Sometimes people persecute me. But if Babylon is our home, we're quite comfortable. Maybe with the ways of thinking. Maybe with the vices and sins that this culture calls good. And so in Chesterfield, you'd be forgiven for thinking there's just one town, but there isn't. There's an invisible town within Chesterfield that you 
brother, sister belong to and that only you know about and those who love the Lamb. And living for either one, living in either one, will have consequences. So which place do you belong to? But here's another question. Which song do you sing? I wonder, do, are you someone who knows songs by heart? My mom never did, and so she just sang and pretended to know, you know, which I thought was hilarious as a child because she would just be uh, humming and making up words like, Oh, meu Jesus. It never made any sense, okay? It's a song, lots of songs that she wished she knew, but she didn't know. But I know that you're different. I know that your memory is better. And for a prize, I will test it now. Okay, here we go. I can show you the world. There it is. There it is. It's a song that even a mother knows here. Shining, shimmering, splendid. Oh, we don't talk about... Wow, a few more of you <laughs> seem to know that. Surprising places. You seem to know this. It's a song that you know. But lots of you didn't. Only some of you knew how to complete that musical phrase. The rest didn't have a childhood or did, but it was 100 years ago. Here in verse 3, what do we have? What do we have? The people of God are joining in this. They were singing a new song. Before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders, no one could learn that song except 144,000, the people of God. Why? Because they had been redeemed from the earth. Why can't people who aren't God's people sing this song? Because redemption isn't true of them. They don't know the saving, forgiving, loving grace of the Lord Jesus. How would you worship the Lamb without believing what He's done for you? How would you sing any of the hymns that we sang tonight without believing it's been true of you? I noticed this. Yesterday we were doing our Men Behaving Dadly uh, toddler group. And uh, we only have some of the dads who, who believe uh, in, in the Bible, who are rescued by Jesus. And you can easily tell. Because the ones that are there but don't agree that our God is indeed a great big God, that whether it's uh, the small ant in the garden path, all creation must praise the Lord. Well, guess what they're not doing? Their kids are singing it, which is great. <laughs> they're not singing it. They're often looking down on the ground. I think George was singing it. He was there. He was singing it. There you go. Big bloke singing it. Fantastic. Would we be singing it? You are holy, mighty, worthy. I will sing to and worship the king who is worthy. If that's not you tonight, perhaps because you're only here because, you know, youth group is better afterwards, well, then you wouldn't be singing it. But if you belong to him, you'll be singing in God's presence and you are rehearsing right now. And I say in God's presence because if you look at verse 2, a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sounds of loud thunder. The rushing of waters and thunder, a picture of the throne of God. And if you've ever heard a decent choir, like the one that Sarah Bruin sings in, 
a decent choir sing well. You know we are not messing around when we say we sing truth and we are impacted by it. The very first time I heard and understood uh, a, an old Latin hymn called Miserere Mei Deus, which sings Psalm 51, and I knew what the Latin words were saying, I cried. Have mercy on me, O God. The very first time that I heard Christos Anesti, Christ is risen, the Easter hymn, that he gave life to those who were in the grave, and I knew that was me. I shed a tear. The first time I heard from St. Matthew's Passion, a passage where all that is sung is, have mercy, completely broke me. Here we have a group of people that I want you to see why if you trust in Jesus, you are part of it. And you'll do that by going to Revelation chapter 5. Go with me there now. And look at what is there. Because there's a group of people singing a new song. And here is why they're singing. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to judge, to open its seals because you were slain for me, for us. With your blood, the only begotten Son of God, you purchased us undeserving sinners for God so that we might belong to Him, a loving, a wonderful Master, wonderful Father. You have made them to be a kingdom. Oh, wait, persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. I've only mentioned a few languages in which you can worship the Lord to you, Latin, Greek, and German. And here, we have a reason to think and to praise the Lord. Because he's made us a new family, a new kingdom to worship him, to belong to him. If you've been redeemed, you will sing to him. If you've ever told your testimony, your conversion story, you know what I'm talking about. Is my conversion story the same as yours? Is it? No. What is the same as yours? If we are telling it right, that we land with the Lord Jesus who died for us, who redeemed us, this is what we will be singing about. You might think, well, I'm, I'm not a singing person. Start now, brother. Start now, sister, because we will be doing this. And I wonder, is that you? Are you singing songs of gratitude to Jesus because you belong to him? You know that he is your God. You know that you've been forgiven. We don't have time now, but you might want to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, saying you have every blessing in the heavenly places because you belong to Jesus. You might be thinking about how there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you don't have to be afraid. There's no accusation against you. There's no sin, no failure that someone can point out that the Lord Jesus hasn't forgiven and loved you. You may be thinking about how you were brought out of darkness into this wonderful light, that you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a precious, God's precious possession. If you understand any of what I just said, it's enough to make you sing. But we have more questions to ask you. Just a couple more. Are you a virgin? 
Don't put your hands up for this. But think with me. That's the next picture. Let's read it. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. That question, in our culture, are you a virgin, would only be asked if you want to ridicule someone, if you want to make fun of them. Are you with me? If you, if you want to say, oh, what do you mean, you're in your 20s? In your 30s? Are you a virgin? What? Our culture would call Christians who would want to seek purity outdated, repressed, would say that Christianity is therefore harmful. And if you apply that to spiritual realities, you're going to see that the world responds in the same way. But I told you, haven't I, that in the Old Testament, uh, that is a picture of being spiritually committed to God, being pure. That means you have not chosen to go over here with this idol, this false God, with this ideology. No, you would look to the God of the Scriptures, and that's why Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's go there. Paul says this, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. This is why I don't believe that, um, you know, like, like my friends who are Catholics um, and believe that in order to, uh, to fulfill God's calling for you, um, if his calling for you is to be um, a servant of the word, um, a pastor, is for you to never marry. Well, no, I can't read that here. Instead, I see here that the whole church is the bride of Christ. That if you and I pledge our loyalty to Jesus and that we are more loyal to Him than perhaps to loving our families, even if there's a, if there's a choice, more loyal to Him than to loving, um, pleasing an employer or pleasing a parent or pleasing a friend, if we're more loyal to Him, then indeed we are virgins, waiting for the time when we marry the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a picture of being united with Him forever. And that's how we are described. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. We follow Jesus when Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that anybody who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. We follow Him then. We follow Him in our love of truth, because there was no lie in their mouth in verse 5, and they live blameless lives, meaning anything good that we do is the Holy Spirit doing it through us. We follow Him from persecution to glory, from the cross to the empty tomb, from being rejected and denying ourselves to one day when, like Jesus, we are exalted and we live forever with Him. And so in that question I ask, when are we tempted to move away from looking at Christ, our groom, to compromising here, to compromising there. I know my own temptations. What are yours? Do you have temptations at home, with friends, in the privacy of our lives, to not be honest or transparent or diligent or to not be Christ-like? 
There's much more that we could say. But we're going to save our last question for next time. We've asked, what mark do you bear? What characterizes your life? Is it the beast, the lamb? We've asked, where do you belong? People won't know that you are foreign until they meet and speak with you and they go, the way they live shows they don't really fit in easily. They don't just belong because they're trying to live and please Jesus. Which song do you sing? If you're redeemed, you know everything Christ has done for you and that makes you grateful. Are you a virgin? Which loyalty is it that you pledge allegiance to? Is it the Lord Jesus above all things? Our fifth question would have been, which destiny awaits you? Is it that of judgment? Or is it that of being embraced and rescued finally by the Jesus who will right every wrong? One day, suffice it to say now, verse 12 won't be needed anymore. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Some of you have been doing enduring for a long time, and you've been believers for a long time, and you just long for the day when there is no more enduring of the saints because you've kept the commandments of God and the faith in Jesus, and you will be with Him forever. For some of us here this evening, you don't know yet, but where you are headed is the very judgment that we will talk about a lot more next time. The very judgment of someone who is not safe in the arms of the Father and who will have to pay for their own sins because they didn't trust in Jesus to pay for their sins. Is that you? If that is you, come to Him. Any other way leads to death. And I want to pray for you and I want to do that now. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as your people, we've been redeemed and we sing to you. We sing what is true. You've shed your blood for us and we love you and we want to worship you. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that as a fellowship here, we try to be a witness, that we try and welcome people into the community and they love being among us. Even those who do not know you, they love being among us. We pray, Father, may they not be deceived thinking it's enough to simply be among us. Pray that every teenager here, every child, every adult, every elderly person that comes to anything that we do, that they would know they must make a decision to follow you and then to belong to your people, to trust in you for the forgiveness of their sins so that they would know your love and security and safety now and forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We have a lot of reasons to sing. A lot of reasons to sing to you. Please help those reasons not to be eclipsed by our worries, by our tiredness, by our boredom. Keep our eyes focused on you, we pray.